0: Technology is undoubtedly the best thing that has happened to mankind. Laptops, tablets, wearables, gaming consoles, music players and the endless list of smart devices have become so integral to making our lives easy and exciting. But do we get to see tech from the maker's perspective? In this podcast, we will be looking at all the technology news and discuss how the makers of tech are trying to vie for a spot in our ever-increasing technology ammunition. I'm Bharat and this is Tech Talk Weekly. Hello everybody and welcome to the fourth episode of Tech Talk Weekly. This episode is being recorded on the 16th of August and we'll be looking at the most exciting technology news that grabbed our attention last week. So here's all the news lined up for this episode. Microsoft unveils the Surface Duo, its first attempt at launching a compact foldable mobile device. But is this product dead on arrival? Fortnite gets axed from the Google Play Store days after being barred from Apple's application store for violating terms of agreement. Is this the beginning of developers retaliation? Samsung joins hands with ARM and AMD for building its next generation Exynos chipset. Is Samsung going all out to challenge Qualcomm's dominance? OnePlus goes for an entire design overhaul with its recent Android 11 update. Why is the company moving away from its famed software skin that was close to vanilla Android? iPhone sales to drop by 30% if it were to adhere to US government's order to delist WeChat from its App Store. Is it time to dilute your Apple stocks? The first news of this episode is about Microsoft unveiling the Surface Duo, which is essentially a smartphone with two screens. The device in a lot of ways mimics a notebook and it runs Android and I personally believe that this device may not fly more so because it's dubbed as a foldable whereas it's got a form factor of a notebook. And if you look at foldables today we have definitely come a long way from having phones with two screens supported by a hinge to having an actual foldable where the screen folds in half and quite literally it's a tablet and a phone wrapped into one. Now, when you look at the duo, it reminds me of a device called the ZTE Axon M. I think it was launched in about twenty seventeen. While it was a commercially available product, it seemed like a well thought out experiment back then. And after that, we've had the likes of Samsung with the Galaxy Fold and Z Flip, Motorola with the new Moto Razor, Huawei with the Mate X. All of these devices have come about a couple of generations, and of course, not to forget LG's V sixty and LG's G eight X. Uh, devices which actually came with two screens supported by a hinge Um, and LG is potentially more comparable to Microsoft's Duo because both of them are dual screen devices as against a true foldable and again to LG's credit they made this device in such a way that users could actually use the device as a single screen smartphone by detaching the other screen but coming back to Duo I'm not too optimistic, more so because I'm unable to comprehend what Microsoft is looking to drive with the Duo. What is the differentiated proposition that potential customers should take note of? In fact, I watched the entire 30-minute press demo and I came back feeling as skeptical before the device uh, launch as it was after watching the demo. Uh, Without even looking at the device, I'm kind of certain that this device wouldn't sell well enough. Firstly, it's a $1,400 device, it comes at a point when flagships aren't selling well and people are turning to value smartphones that do 80% of what flagships do at one third of the price. And even if I were to ignore this sentiment and focus on what's on offer, the device comes with a Snapdragon 855 which is last year's flagship chipset. It comes with 6GB of RAM in an era where mid-ranges support 8 to 12GB of RAM. It comes with a mono speaker, a substandard camera and more importantly it comes with a 3600 mAh battery which I believe is the biggest con in the device. Uh, for comparison, devices which support a single screen come with 4500 mAh battery and they manage to last one workday. So you can imagine a device which has two screens to power and even with the most optimistic estimates the device will have to be plugged in by evening for because it would run out of charge. And more importantly, there isn't anything novel about the device. It isn't a true flex, uh, true foldable, its pricing puts it around $400 short of Samsung's foldables which are also set to launch in September, and the Galaxy foldable from Samsung will bring the latest and greatest hardware, be it the latest chipset from Qualcomm, Samsung's own true foldable AMOLED display, flagship-grade cameras, stereo speakers, and it would be priced at around $1800. Uh, with Samsung throwing all but the kitchen sink and add to that Galaxy devices usually come bundled with Microsoft software, I'm not sure what differentiation Microsoft is gunning for. Maybe it's the first generation and Microsoft is testing the water, but even then why would they put out this product especially when competitors are two generations ahead. Personally I would pass this device as much as I would have liked to applaud the first attempt, I certainly believe. That they could have done a lot better or at least skip this edition to come up with something more comparable next year. So this next news is about the game Fortnite being banned from the Google Play Store now after it was chucked out of the Apple Store and the reason seems to be the same. Uh, Just to give context, Epic Games is is one of the gaming developers and Fortnite is one of the games that they list in both the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. And most of these games have something called the in-app purchases. While both these games are made available for free on these platforms, you don't have to make any upfront payment as a fee to download these games. But in order to purchase in-app items, you will have to end up paying real money. And in case of Fortnite, they would get a lot of these things um, such as say weapons or new gear or new apparel. It could be just about anything that really improves the experience of playing the game. And going by the policies of both Apple and Google, they will have to purchase or rather they will have to route any purchase that their users can make through their official app stores. And there shouldn't be any third party source from where they could access these and this was to avoid brands from really circumventing the existing process which would really help them do away with the 30% fee that both Apple and Google charge for developers uh, who are listing their applications on their Play Store and uh, on their application store. So Apple was the first to take the decision because Fortnite got a recent update wherein they it enabled the users to make purchases on Fortnite's website directly and not necessarily through the Apple Store and they, they they released a similar update to their Android version of the app as well which did pretty much the same thing which meant that they would no longer need to pay the 30% commission that they'll have to pay both Apple and Google. Now there are two ways of looking at this so just just for context Fortnite Um, rather Epic Games was able to make about 1.8 billion dollars in revenue from Fortnite in 2019. So it's a pretty sizable business that they have and for them to be able to pay 30% of every in-app purchase that's being made would mean that they are sacrificing a big chunk of the money that they are making. But the more important part here is Fortnite wouldn't have been such a big success had they not had access to both Google and Apple's consumer base right or customer base because imagine putting up a game on on one of your websites and then pushing people to come to that page and download it as against listing it in the application store and probably running ads for for that particular application pushing it to the top of the search when anybody looks for a similar game and i think that's the premium that say any developer out there is paying he's paying for the kind of ecosystem that they have built and the kind of audience base that Google and Apple have built. And I think it was very clear when um, in, in as a part of the contractual obligations that anybody who's looking to list their application on either say Apple or a Google Play Store will have to abide by all of these um, norms and I think even Fortnite was one of, or rather Epic Games was one of the developers who signed up for this. and. I think the reason why this has come up all of a sudden is because of all the chat around these antitrust allegations on the big companies and how they are potentially trying to um, undercut competition and really kick them out of the market. So potentially that's what has led to Fortnite really indulging in something like this which I don't believe they would have had this antitrust thing hadn't been blown out of proportion as it has been today. And In fact, Google has also released a statement wherein they say the open Android ecosystem lets developers distribute apps through multiple app stores. For game developers who choose to use the Play Store, we have consistent policies that are fair to developers and keep the store safe for users. While Fortnite remains available on Android, we can no longer make it available on Play because it violates our policies. However, we welcome the opportunity to continue our discussions with Epic and bring Fortnite back to Google Play. So this is Google's statement and it makes a lot of sense, I think. Today, if Fortnite is one of the developers who let Scott free, right? Tomorrow, there are going to be a lot more developers who are trying. Who are going to resort to this because both Google and Apple haven't really taken action, which, in some ways, is not adhering to the contract that they had signed up for as a developer to list their application on the store. So. It, it is also probably one of the ways in which both Google and Apple are making an example out of Fortnite or Epic saying that, hey, you know what, you're going to resort to something like this, then we are going to f- adhere to what we have signed up for, which is to bar you from our official application store. So um, I think Epic has also gone ahead and they've, they've partnered with the likes of maybe Samsung who have their own app store with an Android wherein all of these purchases can be routed. But again, it's it's a very long shot. For most people using Android or iOS, I mean, iOS, there's no option other than the Apple Store. But in case of Android, you have way more application stores which have been put up by manufacturers. But very few of them are there other than their own ardent fans would be accessing it because Google Play comes with its own set of advantages. Google also offers a lot of security measures to ensure that most of these apps are tested and and only the ones which pass these rigorous tests make it to their application store. And Google also consistently monitor these uh, monitors these applications to see if there are any security issues or breaches or anything of that sort. Which means any application that you download from the Play Store is safe for you. So it comes with a lot of credibility and hence. I do not think a lot of people would look for an application outside of the Play Store. In fact, Google also makes it as one of their settings in Android where it says prevent the download or install install of application outside of the Play Store, which essentially is categorized as unknown sources. So it makes a lot of sense but I really don't think it was fair for uh, for Fortnite to resort to something like this because it's part of the contract, it's, you will have to abide by what you've signed up for and to suddenly come out of this and, and really sue Google or Apple in the process is really not going to help and for them, I mean the way I look at this right, I mean the way it's going to really end up, I'm sure that Fortnite will have to roll back whatever they've done in terms of an update and then go back because no matter what they do, no matter where they are going to list themselves, what other app store they are going to be a part of They are not going to get the kind of audience base that both Apple and Google have in their respective app stores So they are going to get back there but again this was something that could have been avoided But probably something that Epic is trying um, to see if all of this uh, antitrust and other allegations on uh, which, have, which has come about on These big companies would have any sort of impact when somebody like say a big app developer like Epic can come out and, and and try and fight it out in the public or in the court, is there something that could really change the rules of the game? Because it, it definitely isn't. These are platform businesses and in order to be in such businesses who have a tremendous audience base, these commissions are premiums that most brands pay for them to get access to their audience base. So this is not going to change anytime soon. but. I would, it would be really interesting to see how this materializes from now because it's, it's the same with Microsoft as well, right? I mean, Microsoft also has um, their Xbox Cloud, if I remember correctly, or X Cloud. So it, that that can also be um, if if they install it via the Play Store, they they wouldn't be able to purchase DLC content for Xbox games. Because of the same 30 percent issue so on the other hand if they happen to download it from say the Samsung store they wouldn't have to really make the thirty percent purchase uh, and and hence making it available only on the Samsung store is what apple is uh, is what Microsoft is doing at this point so you can see that there are going to be a lot of alternative means that many of these brands may resort to but ultimately for anybody who really wants to put their content in front of Uh, the Android users are or the iOS users which today dominate the market uh, especially when it comes to smartphone ecosystems there's there's really no other alternative other than their native app stores so this is going to this is going to be an example in a lot of ways to a lot of companies out there who might be thinking of something on these lines because you have a lot of these app developers who end up paying this commission Uh, unless the big companies like say Epic uh, come out and really contest this uh, uh, in the courts and uh, whatever the justification could be 30% is quite a bit but again like I said 30% to get access to the kind of customer base that Google and Apple has it's a premium worth paying because I don't think no I don't think any app developer can independently reach out to such a such an audience base and monetize their applications it's it's really ruled out so be really interested to see how this materializes the long term but again like I said I'm I support both Google and Apple in this because you you just can't flout the contract that you have signed, and that I'm I'm very certain that this was part of the contract that app developers do sign, and any, any sort of breach should be treated with such repercussions. So I'm I'm fully with the uh, platform players in both Apple and Google. So the next news is about Samsung joining hands with ARM and AMD to build the next generation of its Exynos chipset. And this move is aimed at challenging Qualcomm's dominance in the semiconductor or chipset business as it's traditionally known. And with 2021 fast approaching and the dynamics of the semiconductor business changing so rapidly, it's it's going to be a slugfest between Samsung and Qualcomm potentially two of the largest players along with MediaTek in a three-horse race now that Huawei can't manufacture their own processors. So in 2021, 5 nanometer processors are going to be the standards and there are only two manufacturers who have the technology and the infrastructure to manufacture these processors at scale. One is Samsung and of course the other is TMSC, something that we covered last week when we spoke about Qualcomm preferring TMSC against Samsung. So. Now, before we move into this news, let's briefly talk about a smartphone chipset and how it compares with a desktop chipset just to get our context right. So in case of a desktop, we have a separate processor which is connected to the motherboard and the motherboard houses the RAM, connects to the storage, has your sound and graphics available as modules. So all the components are modular and you're free to procure each one individually and put your PC together, right? In in the context of a smartphone, we have what we call the system on chip, which basically houses the main processor, the graphics processor, the sound card, the image sensor for cameras, the cache memory, your modem for 3G and 4G, a DSP for AI processing. So there's a lot packed into the SOC. So when a device manufacturer purchases a Qualcomm chipset, he gets all of this bundled into one chip, right? So the other piece that we'll have to understand over here is, who are all the stakeholders in, in the manufacture, pro, manufacturing process of any chipset? right? They would be a chipset designer. In this example, it would be ARM, who is leasing or licensing its designs. The next stakeholder is the equipment manufacturer. In this case, it is, say, Qualcomm. So Qualcomm licenses the designs from ARM, designs its own chipset using its custom core. Uh, the third stakeholder in the contract is the contract manufacturer or What we call a foundry. So, for example, let's say it's TMSC. So, TMSC will take Qualcomm's final chips design and manufacture it at scale, ensuring that it adheres to the recommended quality standards. So, if you look at this entire value chain, Samsung can do both what Qualcomm does as well as what TMSC does which is basically design their own chip as well as manufacture it at scale. In fact, Samsung does it a little bit more efficiently than TMSC so Qualcomm has no choice but to partner with Samsung for the manufacturing process. Now this is where it gets a little tricky. Uh, Samsung is both a partner and a competitor for Qualcomm and in certain cases a customer as well. So Qualcomm's chipsets compete with Samsung's Exynos chipsets and Samsung is one of like I said, one of Qualcomm's largest customers since their devices that get launched in North America invariably uses the Qualcomm chips. And this is more so because Qualcomm owns the intellectual property around CDMA which is still used by certain US carriers. So if Samsung has to use Qualcomm's tech, it has to pay a licensing fee which further inflates the price of the chipset and hence Samsung resorts to buying a Qualcomm chip which works out a lot more economically. Now. Samsung's Exynos chips have been proven to be inferior to Qualcomm's chipsets. So, Qualcomm doesn't want Samsung to get an insight into its chipset to safeguard its competitive advantage. So, they're looking to scale their production volume with TMSC and slowly reduce its dependency on Samsung. And just to counter that particular move, now Samsung is indulging in close collaboration with ARM and AMD in an attempt to catch up with Qualcomm, considering Samsung's Exynos is left a lot to be desired in the recent past. So, In fact, Samsung dissolved its custom core department to focus on ARM's Cortex-X cores along with AMD's GPU, and if initial reports are to be believed, the new Exynos chips convincingly dethrones Qualcomm's current generation chipsets. So I'm really waiting to see uh, how things pan out in the first quarter when we'll start seeing devices sporting these flagship internals. The competition has been long due and I'm sure that this will put a lot of pressure on Qualcomm's pricing strategy which of late has gone over the roof owing to the lack of strong competition and the introduction of 5G. This next news is about OnePlus opting to completely overhaul its software skin as a part of its Android 11 update. So OnePlus recently made its beta version of Android 11 available to the users of its 2020 flagship series, the OnePlus 8 and the OnePlus 8 Pro. And one of the first things that were heard from the users of OnePlus was how the OnePlus UI is a stark contrast to what the brand stood for for so long. And for folks who aren't aware, OnePlus has been hailed as one of the only brands in the Android ecosystem that adopts a minimalist custom skin that doesn't deviate a lot from vanilla android but this move has left a lot of their fans in splits and pondering why oneplus would meddle with something that has been their unique selling point for so long now to the question as to why oneplus is doing it it's kind of understandable because of how they are looking to transform as a smartphone brand um, oneplus became a very famous brand as a f- smartphone as a flagship killer smartphone meaning they offer all the top-tier features that a high-end smartphone would offer, but at a fraction of that price. So, while the while the top-tier devices have already breached the $1000 mark, OnePlus isn't actually that far off. In fact, the OnePlus smartphone fi- prices have slowly crept up and now their most recent flagship, the OnePlus 8, is priced at a hefty $800. So... It was obvious that they are treading towards becoming a premium flagship smartphone and to be able to do that effectively they have to really offer a differentiated experience and the first step to offering any differentiated experience starts with the software and OnePlus since their UI closely resembled Google's Pixel it was imminent that they had to look at a UI overhaul and this seems to be the most opportune time considering 2021 will mark OnePlus's entry into the $1,000 flagship territory. While this is a good start, I still think they have a long way to go and I'm again going to take the example of Samsung. And despite Samsung also running Android, some of the features it offers are so unique that folks are used to the Samsung experience and they would hesitate to move to a different brand. I mean, features such as Samsung Pay, Samsung Pass and a whole host of productivity and convenience features that they have made available to their customers have made a lot of them their brand loyalists and ironically, a lot of OnePlus users have compared the new UI to Samsung's custom skin called One UI UI, and the resemblance is way too obvious. So, for OnePlus to be able to create that stickiness, They will have to indulge in differentiation and this UI overhaul will pave way for the introduction of a lot more features that will push them close to offering that differentiated proposition. And what will be interesting to see is how OnePlus's transition from being an enthusiast brand to a traditional overpriced flagship brand will cost them in the long run because their ardent fans were flabbergasted with their recent pricing strategy of the OnePlus 8. So it's going to be very interesting going forward. The last news of this episode is about Apple and how their sales could drop by a massive 30% if they were to adhere to the US government's recent order to delist WeChat from their application store. In fact, the president's executive order banning WeChat could have far-reaching consequences for almost the entire technology industry since WeChat's parent company Tencent has investments in a lot of US-based brands. But most importantly, the ban could have an impact on Apple, which is deeply entrenched in China. While it's still unclear if the ban is applicable to the WeChat app only in the United States, or it'll result in the removal of WeChat from iPhones across the globe, uh, Tencent believes that the ban is applicable only in the U.S. But it's again seeking clarity since the executive order is vague, and and they're waiting for the Commerce Department to really work out the details. But the reason why this issue is getting all the attention is because recently there was a survey conducted on Waibu, the largest social media platform in China where 95% of the 1.2 million people who responded to the survey said they would be okay to switch to an Android phone over an iPhone rather than giving up on WeChat. For record, WeChat has more than 1.2 billion active users, uh, many of them based out of China and a blanket ban on WeChat could result in devastating repercussions for American businesses in China, particularly Apple. And WeChat is a super app and it's, it just doesn't provide chat or messaging functions. It also is used for everything from official communication to commerce to payments. WeChat literally dominates the screen time of any average smartphone user in China. So. If the US barred Apple from offering WeChat through the App Store, it would either have to find an alternative distribution option or risk selling the iPhones in China without one of the country's most important apps. And according to the famed analyst Ming-Chi Ko, Apple could suffer a potential 30% drop in shipments. In fact, it's not just Apple that stands to lose out of this Tencent, the parent company, has, has taken a hit of about 66 billion in market capitalization in just two days, courtesy of the WeChat ban. Uh, the implications for Apple could be further than just the device sales. I mean, imagine the number of users who will be exiting the Apple ecosystem. That I believe is a greater problem because it affects Apple's potential operating income. And when when the U.S. president was recently questioned about this, he he didn't seem concerned about the impact it could have on the U.S. corporations. He, he seemed more concerned about the bigger purpose at hand. In fact, Apple is one of more than a dozen US companies who warned the US administration about the implications of banning WeChat from their platforms. The likes of Disney, Ford, Intel, Morgan Stanley, UPS, Walmart were also among those to inform the White House that the consequences for US companies could be really severe. Um, It'll be very interesting to see how this conflict is resolved because this seems to have ramifications for several global companies. With markets crashing, consumer sentiments at an all-time low, this battle between global superpowers is indeed delaying any potential economic recovery. So that's all the news we had planned for this episode of the Tech Talk Weekly. Please do share your thoughts on the podcast. Your feedback definitely helps refine our content. We'll continue to work towards bringing all the exciting technology news and our views in a concise 30-minute format. Thank you for taking the time and listening to the Tech Talk Weekly. Until the next one, stay excited.